Good morning. I stopped by the hospital this morning to get my coffee just because I feel more at home there now. <laughs> Pastor Ron Baum was so kind to elaborate and elaborate and elaborate on how I was doing uh, last week. And I said, with friends like you, who needs enemies? Uh, so I'm, I'm a pretty lucky person because one in five people that have a ruptured appendix get to go back two weeks later for an abscess that develops. And so I was one of the lucky winners that got to spend another three days in the hospital. Uh, but I did figure it out. All of my problems have happened since I was growing that beard. I had the beard for six weeks, but I missed three Sundays, flu, appendix, abscess. And so within 15 minutes of getting home, I just shaved that thing off. I'm sure there's a Bible verse about superstitious behavior that I can find somewhere. But so I, without the beard, I should, be, I should be okay. But every church wants a humble pastor, and I have been humbled. And so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, the Lord has humbled me, and I am, I'm grateful for that. There's been a couple cool God moments that I'll share with you over the next few weeks too that, that happened while we were there. But if you have your uh, phone with you, which we all do because we're humans in America, uh, then you can open up the Church Center app and pull up the notes that we have. Otherwise, they'll be on the screen. Last time I was speaking with you, we were in John 11 and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Huge, huge moment that happened one day before Palm Sunday, which explains why there's a massive crowd that begins to gather around Jesus because many of them were there weeping and wailing with Martha and Mary. And then word got back from Bethany to Jerusalem about what Jesus had done. And they're like, this has to be the Messiah. Half of John's gospel is dedicated to this last week of the life of Jesus because that's how important the crucifixion and resurrection are to us. But the question I have is, what would be an appropriate response to Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead? What's the right response to have after that? Think about Mary and Martha getting their brother back after four days of grieving. What would they be feeling? Probably gratefulness. Think about Lazarus being able to, to think, I've got another chance to do what, what God is calling me to do in this life. The crowd seeing that their friends now had joy instead of mourning. What's the right response? Gratefulness is at the center of all that. How would you respond? How would you respond if God did something that big in your life? It's a relevant question because all of us go through a Lazarus-like moment when we go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we see the people respond here, that's, that's ways that we can respond. So I wanna put two quotes up on the screen for gratefulness. And I, I love that we had the missions team giving us uh, some feedback on their gratefulness of what they learned and saw. But these quotes really helped to drill it uh, home for me. G.K. Chesterton says, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or you take them with gratitude. Doesn't that really just, uh, kind of show a healthy life versus an unhealthy life, right? I know that when I'm taking things for granted, I'm not in a good place. And sometimes it takes a, a tragedy, a crisis, or multiple stays in the hospital for you to appreciate the small things in life. I know my kids are gonna get to a point that the pool that we have isn't cool anymore, and, and it'll take a friend of theirs coming over to remind them how grateful they should be with that. Gratefulness is better than taking things for granted. And Tim Keller, an author in New York City, adds to it this. It's one thing to be grateful, it's another to give thanks. 
Gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. So gratefulness is a great heart posture for us to have, but when it overflows into an action, a response, that's even better. So Thanksgiving is one of those responses, and we'll see other responses here in the scripture today. So if we're grateful to God for what he's done in our lives, whether it's all we can think of is the cross and the resurrection, or whether it's a moment that you've had with God and, and your family, if we're grateful, we can respond in one of these four ways that we see in John chapter 12, starting in verse one. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. One way that we can respond is responding with celebration and hospitality. They're throwing a dinner party in honor of Jesus because of what he did for their family. They were friends with him and he came through and saved their family and they have to tell other people about it. So they invite other people over and Jesus is the guest of honor. Hospitality is a great way for us to respond with the gratefulness of all that God has blessed us with that we can then bless other people. And I think the apostle Peter knew that this would be difficult for us. So he says in 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, right? Without grumbling. We, we can all think of reasons why we don't want to offer hospitality. Oh no, it's, it's not gonna work. It's gonna cost extra money or we're already so busy and I, I don't wanna do this. And, and Peter says, yeah, but it's a part of the Christian life is to be hospitable. And so how can we go about doing it without grumbling where it actually becomes something that we look forward to? When you hear the word hospitality, you may think of uh, the hospitality industry like hotels or even hospitals. God knows I don't want to think about hospitals. So let's talk about hotels where there's beds and, and food that is, that's given to you. And so hospitality largely is meeting other people's needs. And many times for us, just gathering with others to bless them with some food and fellowship. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus honored Christ by celebrating him. He was the guest of honor. And we can do the same thing. It's not uncommon for people after a baptism to then have a, a gathering, to have a party to celebrate that. Or after a baby dedication, to go out to eat and say, this was a big moment with Jesus. It could be that we have to rethink what our traditions are for Easter and Christmas and say, how can I honestly honor Jesus in these moments. We'll do some other cute traditions too, but how can I honor Jesus in these moments as well? That's one way that we can do it. But we can also honor Christ by celebrating like him, how he celebrated, which was very different. When you look in, this, in the gospels and see the list of people that Jesus said, invite these people to the wedding feast or, or invite them out or the people's homes that he would go and eat with. Jesus was always surrounding himself with those that were far from God so he could reveal the goodness of God to them. And to a point where he was teased for it. He was, he was mocked for it saying, well, obviously this isn't the Messiah. He's hanging out with sinners and he doesn't even know it. No, he knew, but he knew he was their hope. We can celebrate like Jesus when we not just invite other church members over so we can build up the body of Christ, but reach out to our neighbors. We don't know if they believe in Jesus or not, but as we have those that are far from God, closer to our lives, they can get to know who God is. A pastor friend of mine at a different church just told me two weeks ago that he's had the same neighbor on one side of his house for 20 years, but, but this guy's never been over his house. 
And then a year ago, his mom moved into the house so they could take care of her. And to get out of the house, she would go walk the neighborhood every single day. And so she met all the neighbors just from a routine of walking all the time. And so when she was having a birthday party, she invited the neighbor over that had never been over the house in 20 years. And he felt kind of, he felt so embarrassing. I can't believe my mom My elderly mom had to be the one to invite my neighbor over. And he's all excited. Oh, I've never been to your house. I can't wait to go to your mom's birthday party. And he's like, what was wrong with me that for 20 years, I didn't do this and my mom got it done within one year. It's because moms are awesome. That's why, that's what it was. But we can do the same thing. We can say, we're gonna, we're gonna eat with sinners like ourselves, right? We're going to invite people over and not worrying about it. You know, we're just gonna, we're gonna invite people over. We don't have to always be worried about the symptom of sin when there's a heart that needs to be one for Jesus. And this can be an enjoyable process. In the book of Nehemiah, there's a moment where the, the nation is repenting over the sin that they had been involved with and how they dealt with it was hospitality. That's how they were supposed to solidify this commitment to the Lord. It says, they're told, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so it could be that you love cooking a certain style of food or you wanna do something you know, big and, and it'll, it'll just be more fun if you can share that with other people. It was a little risky for me to invite 10 other people over when I, when I did my first seafood boil, but I was strategic. I, I invited mostly people over that had never had seafood boil. And so I was like, this is really, you should know how authentic this is. It's very authentic to get your crawfish frozen from a, a store instead of live and killing them. It's very authentic. And uh, yes, it feels authentic, you know? And so I took that risk and it tasted fine, but I don't really know. I never even had it. So I didn't even know how it should taste. And so it was a win, but it was choice food. It was something fun. And we invited other people over so that we could celebrate together hospitality with the joy of the Lord in such anxious times of turmoil is different. And your neighbors will notice that you have joy despite what's going on in the world. Now, Mary is, is kind of absent from this. We know she was a part of this dinner party, but there's, there's a moment that she's about to have with the Lord in verse three. It says, then Mary took out about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, if we were in kids' ministry, we'd go, boo, right now, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that you should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Mary responds with sacrificial giving. She gave something that was, it was the costliest, most valuable thing that she had. This was her savings, right? This was worth a year's wages and she uses it on Jesus in a way that's extravagant. And you kind of wonder like, is this, is this too much is our thought, but there's no measuring the value of Jesus. And so when we give sacrificially, it needs to flow from a grateful heart. As we think about who Jesus is and what he's done, we give generously because of our heart's condition, because we can't measure the value of Jesus. It's just not possible. 
She gives a year's worth of wages, a lavish display of love. Think about what she could have bought with that, right? Imagine if that's how we were all paid when you work on January 1st, you got your annual salary. And if you leave the job, you got to give some of it back. But how long would it last if you had your annual salary on January 1st? Most of us couldn't stretch it over the year. We'd find ways to, to spend it on something. But her brother's alive. So it, it, it does, nothing was enough to give to Jesus when her brother was now alive. There is no way to calculate the cost of love. There's no way to take your heart of gratefulness and put it on a scale with what Jesus has done for you and balance it out and say, this much affection and no more. This is how much he deserves and not anymore. No, what Jesus has done will always outweigh the scale. It's impossible. And that's the beauty of the story is Jesus is inexpressibly wonderful. Mary's gift is inexpressibly, you know, sacrificial. And the beauty of the story is that they match. She gives so much that we're uncomfortable. We're kind of wondering what that, what that means for us. And even Judas speaks up negatively about it, but it matches. Jesus deserves our entire life. Now, I like to think that I'm frugal. The, the church staff likes to describe that as being cheap, but that's unkind. The kind way to gossip about me is to say that Andy is frugal. And then if no one's really looking, you can roll your eyes a little bit and say, he's really cheap is what it is. And so we've got these uh, cups in the break room, which is really normal for a break room for getting coffee and water. And I was like, well, these are, are these reusable? These are really nice. Well, I should use this like 10 times. These are throwaway cups. So these are, how much do these cost, you know? And they're like, well, what do you want? I'm like, I want the little Dixie cups you get at the dentist's office. Barely enough to quench your thirst. That seems like the right price to have. And they're like, well, what about when people come in for prayer and they want some water? I was like, well, I guess yeah, I'd, I'd be embarrassed to give them that cup. Maybe we can just give the staff the Dixie cups and say, oh, so like, you hate the staff? I'm like, no, I hate the staff. I'm just being frugal, right? And it's, uh, it's an argument that we have, but listen, I, I overcame being frugal when I met Shannon 15, 16 years ago. I don't know when it was, sorry. She's right there. It's hard to estimate when she's right there. Um, but I, you know, I had this frugal, I like say, and then all of a sudden I meet her and I'm living cross country. And I'm like, what do I do? How do I express my love to her when I'm in Jersey and she's in California? And so I, I mailed her a different style gift every week. So she got flowers the first week. And then I found that on M&Ms, you can put your initials. Oh, A, a and S, right? Um, I know her name. I know her name. Actually, Shannon became sad when she married me because her last name changed from B to D and it's Shannon Astrid Dean. Sad. So she's sad now that we're married. Um, but... So I mailed her all these gifts and I asked her this morning, can you remember? I know I did it weekly. Can you remember anything besides the M&Ms and the flowers? And she said she couldn't remember any of them. You know, real nice, real, but it was the best I could do to express. And somebody in her church office actually said, you know, this is not going to last. Like our marriage will last, but not, not the gift giving. And we kind of laughed about that, but it was easy for me to go above and beyond because of love. And that's how it is with the Lord. As we think about what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives, we can give more easily. But the caution of the story is that the love of money can blind us to the worth of Jesus. And that's what happened to Judas, who speaks up and pretends to care about the poor, but doesn't really. His, his whole way of valuing everything is off. He actually thought this was too much love to give to Jesus. Jesus being appreciated too much here and we need to tone it down a little bit. 
And that's just a wrong thought to have in your mind. I need to moderate my love for Jesus. No, we, we pour ourselves out to the Lord. It's never enough. And yet each time it's a beautiful moment in our relationship with him. Judas, how he measured the value of Jesus was so different than Mary that just a few days later, he would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which was actually far less than what Mary poured on his feet. Com completely off here. His, his love of money blinded him to a life-saving relationship with Jesus. And so we have to be cautious with this. And sacrificial gifts are also used to bless and inspire other people. This display of affection was for Jesus from Mary, but it says in verse three that the whole house was filled with the fragrance. Everybody was really blessed and able to, to smell this expensive perfume that they only got on rare occasions because Mary poured out the best she had to Jesus. And that's how it is. As we, as we give sacrificially to the Lord, it inspires other people and they think, well, man, like they seem happy. And they're pouring themselves out to the Lord and they're, they're giving generously and they're serving with their time. And they, they seem like they have joy. Maybe joy isn't found in money. Maybe it's not found in decisions about our comfort and convenience. Maybe it's found in adoring who the Lord is. Sometimes our gifts to the Lord bless other people. You know, like, so I get teased for this, but when, I, when it's birthday, anniversary, Christmas or something, largely I buy Shannon a kitchen device because I'm highly romantic. Right, really, it's really a good strategy. Um, and so I will sacrificially buy her something like when I, I bought her a, a blowtorch because we saw it on Top Chef. And I was like, sweetie, look, blowtorch. She's like, wow, yeah, we saw that on TV. Like, what should I make with it? I'm like, well, I read and I happen to have this recipe for creme brulee, which happens to be my favorite dessert. And for 10 years, she has only used the blowtorch on creme brulee for me on my birthday. You see, I gave sacrificially and somehow, somehow I got blessed. And that's how it is when we serve the Lord and give to him. Other people are blessed by it as well. I don't need any pointers for what to get her uh, for this Christmas. I already know. We want an ice cream maker. That would bless, that'll bless the family. Let's look at Mary's, let's look at Mary's life for a second here. Mary's spiritual journey. I like how simple this is. In chapter 10, she sat at Jesus' feet and learned from him. In 11, she fell at his feet and surrendered her life to him. This is when Lazarus was dead and she's like, I, I trust you, Lord, you can, you can do this, you can help. And then in chapter 12, she anointed Jesus' feet and honored him. She was on a spiritual journey. And each stage of that spiritual journey, she was exactly where she was supposed to be. She's not rebuked in chapter 10 for not honoring Jesus or surrendering to him yet. At that stage, she was there discovering Jesus and learning about him. And people in this room are on all different parts of their spiritual journey. And we always want to be pushing into Jesus and getting closer to him to see what he wants for our lives. But we know we're exactly where the Lord wants us to be. It's just that he's drawing us further and we need to respond to that. Now, the crowds respond in a really unique way here in verse 12. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. This is Zechariah 9, 9. It's a prophecy. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your King is coming seated on a donkey's cult. They responded, the crowds, by declaring that Jesus was their king. 
They actually didn't even fully understand that, but they responded appropriately by saying, the Messianic Psalms, like Psalm 118, it pictures this. Jesus is the one we will yell Hosanna for. Zechariah 9.9 is a Messianic prophecy. Jesus is fulfilling this. But the fact that they were using palm branches shows that they wanted a political and national Messiah because that's how they would celebrate political heroes ever since the time of Maccabees. But Jesus came to be a spiritual savior first. He will come again to judge and rule with an iron fist. But he did not come on a horse to overthrow the Roman government. He came on a young donkey to overthrow the pride that is in each of our hearts. It's a spiritual salvation that Jesus is after. And him coming on a donkey demonstrates the character of his kingdom as gentle and meek. And so just like this crowd, we feel the same exact way sometimes where our blood will boil because of what we see is going on in government, in the country, and how it's contrary to the word of God. And it, 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 it makes us so mad, right? But we need to remember that Jesus has tasked the church with going out there and sharing him so that hearts can be conquered, right? We, we, we should be upset when there is injustice in the land and it's, and it's immoral, but Jesus came gently to work on our hearts. And so an appropriate response to injustice is repentance, more prayer, reaching out to our neighbors that don't know the Lord and introducing them to who Jesus is. He came in peace. You can picture the crowd saying, we're going to follow you to battle. And he's like, I'm actually not going there, but still follow me. But we're going in a different direction and it's going to surprise you. We honor Jesus by declaring him as king over our lives. Christ followers surrender their hearts to Jesus. That doesn't sound cool to surrender. It's like, that's like give up terms, right? But we surrender our hearts to Jesus and say, you will rule my heart. I set you up as king over my heart. And so I need to learn how to say no to my emotions and even my desires and yes to what King Jesus wants to do. Now, a couple days later in verse 20, we see another way to respond to the Lord. Some Greeks were really interested in meeting Jesus. They had heard these rumors and it says, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we wanna see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And we don't actually know if they hear the rest of this, if they were brought along or if they actually never meet Jesus, which is interesting, but it's part of his point. Verse 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Remember two times previously in John, Jesus said the hour has not come. And now all of a sudden something about the Greeks showing up, Jesus says the hour has come. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So he's speaking a truth about himself and now he's gonna apply it to us. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. And anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. And my father will honor the one who serves me. If we're grateful for what the Lord has done, we can respond with service to God. And serving the Lord places us in a humble position where we're following Christ and saying, you are a servant God, and I'm going to serve just like you. The Greeks wanted an audience with the king. We are told it is so much more important to imitate the king. 
the, the Greeks showed that Jesus is the savior of the world, not just for the Jewish people. And so his hour had come and rather than talking with them, which would have been great and he never really turned anyone away for that, he needed to push forward towards the cross and actually die for them if he was gonna be helpful. And this is the kernel principle in verse 24, that a seed by itself, before it is planted, it's kind of just like alive to itself. It's just blessing itself by being alive. But if it is planted and dies and, and a plant bursts forth from it and you can never really see the seed again, now it becomes fruitful and other people are blessed. Jesus is saying, I have to die to serve, bless, and save you. I have to die. But then he calls us to follow him to the cross, which is why he uses the phrase, love your life and, and hates your life. And so he'll say in verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it. If anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it unto eternal life. So what does it mean to love your life? I think it means when you always, always say yes to your personal desires for your comfort and your convenience at the expense of following God on his mission. So it's not that all of our personal desires are wicked and God's desires are perfect. It's just that there are times where our personal desires go against the desires that are in the kingdom of God. And in those moments, Christ followers learn to say no to themselves and yes to what God is leading them to. This phrase hates their life is intense, but it's really just those that realize that following God is way more important than following their emotions and desires. They love God and his mission so much that you would almost describe their love for their own life and their own direction as, as hatred, right? But that's how much we, we love the Lord. So when our desires don't match the Lord's desires, we realize the Lord's desires are eternal and ours are temporary. Let's go, let's go with his. Now, the most practical way that we can do this and kind of walk towards the cross and deny ourselves is by serving God. And Jesus describes a servant beautifully as whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. Servants are just people that want to hang out with Jesus. And so we need to look at the gospels and say, where was Jesus? He was on the fringes. He was in the margins of society. He was with the outcasts. He would look around this room and this community and say, where are the needs? And then he would meet those needs. And so if we want to be servants that are with Jesus and we know Jesus would be where those needs are, then we simply look around for the needs that are around us and we go and we serve with Jesus. He's there spiritually while we're doing the physical work. And somehow in that process, it's not just helping the church function and operate because, well, there's gotta be someone to watch the kids. There's gotta be so. It's spending time with Jesus because your character is aligning with his character as we become servants. And so praise God that there's 530 kids that are coming for VBS. But if we don't get 25 more volunteers, by the end of the week, there's gonna be like a crown colored, crayon colored flag hanging from the top of Cornerstone. And the kids will have taken over the building and you'll see pockets of smoke coming out here and there. And they'll just be eating Twinkies all day long. Remember when Twinkies almost went out of business forever? Did that, that happen, right? It wasn't a dream. It was sad. Sorry. That was my, my, if I had my appendix, I wouldn't have said that. Forgive me, it's a medical condition. Listen, Jesus notices needs. We sometimes notice them and then turn. We need to turn towards the needs and, and not away from them. And we get to spend time with the Lord. Now, responding in any of these four ways is difficult, but it becomes less difficult when we realize Jesus walked his difficult path first before inviting us to follow him to the cross. So he's not, he's not being hypocritical. He walked it for our benefit. We walk it for other people's benefit. 
I'm gonna ask the worship team to come out and lead us in a closing song because as we wrap up this section of the Gospel of John, talking about the glory of God, talking about surrender. We look at the life of Mary and we see that she surrendered to Jesus. Maybe there's something that you want to surrender to Jesus. Maybe there's something that you want to give to him and say, Lord, do this work in my heart. Maybe there's a burden where you really want to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, but you need to bring that burden to someone to pray and say, Lord, I, I believe that you are the Messiah, that you're the Son of God, and that you can intervene, whether it's your sickness or, or somebody else's. I'm, I'll be joining somebody on our prayer team right now for prayer for my health because I have been humbled, and so I will ask for prayer. I'd like us all to, to stand as we sing this last song. You can go ahead and stand with me now, and then please come forward and pray with our prayer team as we sing to the Lord.